0: Good evening. evening. We're grateful for the presence of everyone tonight, especially Neil. Neil was in Roanoke, Texas doing a marriage seminar this weekend. And I don't know if he told American Airlines to land the plane right out in the parking lot for him, but he made it in tonight. And we're glad that he's here as well. Appreciate all of you. And looking forward to our time in worship together. In Florida, there is a scholarship available for high school students called the Bright Future Scholarship. It was started in 1997. It's funded by the Florida Lottery. It boasts a yearly budget of some 200 million dollars. It was originally enacted to counter or to be a sort of similar scholarship to the Hope Scholarship offered in nearby Georgia. Every year, they take high school graduates and note their SAT scores, their ACT scores, their grade point average, and just as the title of the scholarship says, it notes individuals who they believe have a bright future and they believe those individuals are not only worthy of applause and of accreditation to different schools, but also financial stipend. And though the scholarship has gone through changes throughout the years, it still stands. And the idea is if you perform, they want to help bolster your future by giving you financial aid that you never have to pay back to say, we hope you succeed and we believe you will. And, you know, in most of the world, that's how it works. You think about arts or sports or politics or anything. And normally the best and the brightest succeed. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, Outliers, Stories of Success, he says the reason why people succeed, it's really not about their talent, though that's a part of it. It's not about their gifting. Gladwell says you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And then the rest of it's just luck. And he says that's how most people succeed. Thankfully, when you think about Christianity, it just doesn't work that way. Spiritual success is not simply for apostles, prophets, preachers, elders, and spiritual gladiators. According to the New Testament, spiritual success, as God would have it, is for everybody. It's for all of his people. The New Testament pulls no punches as it talks about the bright future that is ours. And I appreciate the songs that David led because they all stress the importance of this idea. Peter talked about our future and he said we're headed to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. First Peter one, three through five. Paul said your citizenship is in heaven and from heaven you look for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he'll change your lowly body and it'll be fashioned like his glorious body. Philippians three, 20 and 21. John says we don't know all of what it's going to be like, but when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him. As he is first John three and verse two. And yet for all that the Bible says about our bright future, sometimes people get discouraged. You think about the lesson from this morning and the gospel that the world is preaching. And if we're not careful, we might sort of slip into despair. So tonight I want you to think about this lesson is really the counteracting to the morning's lesson about the false gospel that the world preaches. You know, many people, they realize the decline of religion in the West. They realize that the religious influence that America once held is sort of slipping sometimes out of our hands. Congregations sometimes go off into apostasy. Some close their doors and there's various reasons for that. But there are some people that think, I don't know if the church is going to make it. I've talked to people in this state and other places who've said things like, I worry about the church for the future of my children or grandchildren. You ever think about that? People say they worry about those kinds. I talked to a man in Florida one time and he told me, you know, Hiram, the church is in the shape that it's in because everybody doesn't use the King James version. He said, listen, if everybody he said, we've got to learn how to use what got us here. And I was thinking, oh, the Greek manuscripts. He said, no, the King James version of the Bible. We got too many translations. He came from a good place, but he was saying, I'm worried. I'm concerned. And it's nothing new. The Israelites saw signs, wonders and miracles. Moses and God, of course, led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and they got to the Red Sea. And instead of seeing their deliverance, some of them saw their doom. They said, we've come here to die. Exodus 14, 10 through 12. Moses told the spies, 12 of you go into the land. It's already yours. Just spy out the land. And 10 of the spies came back and they said, we just can't do it. Numbers 13. Though Nehemiah was building the wall, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they saw a fickle wall in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 3. They said it's so weak that if a fox runs up it, he'll bring it down. And when they came back from Babylonian captivity, Israel that is. There was an older generation that had saw the beauty of Solomon's temple. And instead of realizing that the glory behind that temple was ultimately the presence of God, because the new temple lacked the palatial beauty of that one, you couldn't determine who was praising God and who was weeping in Ezra 3:10 through 13, because the noise was so loud and the idea so competing. One generation said, we'll never be what we were. And there was another generation that was just simply glad to be home. Tonight, I want us all to appreciate... The church's brightest days are out in front of her, according to the New Testament. And what I mean by the church tonight is really the church of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching this sermon at the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ, and I believe that is true about us. But I mean something different altogether than just the church at Lehman. I don't even just mean the church in the United States of America, though I believe the things in this lesson, if applied in the United States, will ensure her success as well. But the church of Jesus Christ, as is described in the New Testament, people of God everywhere doing the things that we find in the New Testament and that can and must be us. And if it is, the future is bright out in front of us, no matter what we face in our current culture or in the days ahead. So tonight there'll be seven points. If you put them together, this is a 15 point sermon, eight from this morning, seven from tonight. But we're not going to add them up like that tonight. Seven reasons why the church's future is bright right now and in the future, no matter what. Let's begin. Number one, the church's future is bright because of the presence of almighty God. When Israel was making their way throughout the wilderness, Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 and 22 says that God was always with them, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His presence rushed into the tabernacle at the end of Exodus in chapter 40, verses 36 through 38. And he says, I'm always with you. What does David say in Psalm 23 and verse four? Yea, though, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why, David? Because there's no evil to fear? No. What does David say? Because you are with me. David says the presence of God makes all the difference in the New Testament. There's no difference. You know, the apostles were distraught and discouraged when Jesus said, I'm ascending, I'm going back to heaven. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. John 14, 16 through 18. I will send you the presence of the Holy Spirit and he'll be with you. And the rest of the New Testament says the Holy Spirit is there as a down payment on the eternal salvation to come. Second Corinthians one and verse 22, second Corinthians five and verse five. The church of Jesus Christ has a bright future ahead of her because of the presence of almighty God. If you have your Bible, maybe you're already there. Look at Matthew 28. This is near the end of Matthew's gospel. And Matthew's given us the great commission as we refer to it. Jesus says in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations. How do you do that? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Holy Spirit. And sometimes we read this passage and we immediately start thinking about how we do what Jesus wants us to do in verse 19. But as important as that is, that's not the most important verse in the section. We worry about how we're going to go disciple the nations. The most important thing is verse 20. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. If verse 20 is true, verse 19 is no problem. No matter when we live or where we live, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. The church's future is bright because of the presence of God. Matthew actually bookends his gospel with this idea of the God who is present at the beginning. In Matthew 1:23, he says, Mary's going to bring forth the son. You'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, no matter what. The church has a bright future because Jesus Christ is always going to be present with his people. And as long as that's true, no matter what else happens, we don't have to fear. No matter what we go through or what we face or what the opposition has in store, if God is with us, there's nothing to fear. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, the Hebrew writer says, God is with me. He says, I'll never leave you, nor will I abandon you. Therefore, my people can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me if God's on our side? We ultimately should be bold and courageous and realize that our best days are out in front of us. If we have the same divine way maker that they had then in our corner now, we'll be successful. When we move locations, we'll be successful in Cumberland Trace because in the end, our success is tied to the presence of God, not to any one person. Listen, the success of the Church of Jesus Christ doesn't rely on any one of us. Not in smooth, suave, talented preachers, not in our programs, not in our own human wisdom and intellect. The success of the Church of Jesus Christ relies on the Christ of the church. What does God tell Joshua in Joshua chapter one? You know, God could have showed up and told Joshua, I will be with you. And that would have been true. But God wanted Joshua to know something that no matter what Joshua was facing in his generation. He says in Joshua one and verse five, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Why say it that way? So Joshua might know Moses didn't have an advantage over you. The previous generation doesn't have a step up on you, just like I was with Moses. God says, I promise to be with you. The church's days are bright in the future because of the presence of God. Recent research has shown three out of four individuals. I know I looked at this picture and I thought the same thing you're thinking right now. That That's Grant Harrison. And it's not. But it does look like him. I know what you're thinking. But listen, in the end, research says three out of four children ages three to 12 are afraid of the dark there's various reasons for that but the primary reason why people are afraid of the dark and they say the numbers are trending up for adults as well this fear of the dark comes about because in the end they say when people see things in the dark they can't see in the dark the dark obscures our vision and the fact that we don't know what may be coming or what lurks in the dark is what causes this uneasiness and this fear and maybe we think about our world getting so dark and things getting so bad and ungodliness rising so high that we think I don't know if we're going to be able to succeed but remember what what David said in Psalm 139 and verse 12 to God. The darkness is not dark to you. Our darkness isn't dark to him. It really doesn't phase him. And so what we should be saying to ourselves is the church's future is bright in the midst of a sexual revolution. God will be with us In extreme positions to the right or the left on social issues. God will be with us. If there's persecution from without or within the church will succeed. You know why? Because God's going to be with us. When we face difficulty and we don't know what decisions to make, God will be with us. The church will succeed. Her days, her future is bright because of the presence of God. Now, here's number two, because of the power of the gospel. Turn your Bible to Romans chapter one and notice what Paul says he believes about the gospel and why this makes the difference for him. Romans one and verse 16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I believe that the gospel is the power to save. And then in verse 17, he says therein in the gospel. Is the righteousness of God revealed from faith and to faith? As it is written, the just individual will live by faith. Why does the church have this bright future to anticipate? Because God's word is still powerful. And as long as we have the message of the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ, people will hear it and respond to it and their lives will be changed. The truth of this message that Jesus really came to this earth and died on a Roman cross and was raised from the dead for the justification of the world. When that message is believed, there's just something about that message by God's divine choice. He's put the power in that message. And when people hear it, it changes their lives. You know, every year, every year, Apple makes a new iPhone and every year they promise. They promise every year you've got to have this one. The camera's sharper it'll last longer your phone's been dying you won't charge it your charger looks like a rat has eaten it but not with this one this iphone's different and you've got to have it if you're going to communicate and do well and be able to text and to respond to messages you got to have it every year polo levi old navy you name them they come out with new clothes and they promise these clothes are more comfortable than the ones we made last year these are better and if you really want to be in style and if you want to be comfortable and do your work and go about living your life You really have to have these every year. There's a book written and they promise if you read it and if you digest this message, it'll change your life. And then the next year, the New York Times makes their bestseller list. And you know what's on there? Another book that you have to read to have your life changed. God's never going to update the gospel. Whatever adversity, whatever affliction, whatever opposition, his cure for the whole world is still the same. Go out and preach the gospel. And if you do that, you'll succeed. In First Corinthians, chapter one, Paul says in verse 18, for the preaching of the gospel is to those that are being saved foolishness. But to those of us who believe it is the power of God, as it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the foolish. Where is the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom knew not God, it pleased God. Through the foolishness of the message that we preach to save those that believe. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To so the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those of us who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1:18 through 25, Paul says: this is what's going to change the world. And guess what? In 2024, it's the same thing that'll change ours. You just start making your way through the New Testament and you see the difference that the gospel made in individuals' lives when it showed up. The first time it was preached on the day of Pentecost, people that previously had cried for the blood of Jesus, they now want to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Acts 2, 36 through 38, they want to become Christians. People in Thessalonica who had served idols and worshiped other gods, when Paul shows up with the gospel in Acts 17, they leave those idols to serve the living and the true God and give their lives over to them. The corrupt Corinthians who performed just about any sin that we can think of today in their hometown of Corinth. They were converted. Their lives were changed. Even Paul, who was once a violent aggressor, became a vigilant ambassador. And why all of these people? Because they heard the gospel message and it changed their lives. You want the church to have a bright future. All we have to do is just keep preaching the gospel. All we have to do is keep going out and reminding people of old truths recently forgotten. The message doesn't need to be updated or changed. All we need to do is continue to preach the gospel message to people. And when they receive it and digest it, it'll change their lives. It's changed every one of ours as we've digested it. It is the thing that's made us different. And if our confidence is in the scriptures and in this message, it'll make all the difference in the world. You know, in the future some of our expedients and some of our traditions might not fare well some of the things that we're just accustomed to doing in the future we might have to surrender those things and we would gladly do it because our confidence was never in our expedience our confidence has always been and must always be in the power of god's message first corinthians 2 and verse 5 paul says i don't want your faith to stand in the wisdom of men but instead in the power of god and in his gospel the church has a bright future so long as we continue to herald the message of the gospel. And what does that mean? It means the public proclamation of the gospel in times like this. But it also means the individual evangelism of every one of us. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter eight and notice what happens after the death of Stephen and as Christianity makes its way throughout the Roman Empire. In Acts chapter eight and verse four, we read, then those who were scattered abroad, they went everywhere preaching the word. It's the message that we go out and proclaim that has the power. Now, listen, the gospel has self-contained power. It is not powerful simply because we preach it. It's powerful because this is where God has placed the power. And as long as we have this message in every generation that has it, they have success in their hands. What the future generations need more than they need a conservative government that's in their favor More than we need laws that will make it easy for us to preach the gospel and ensure that we don't lose our tax exempt status is a renewed confidence in the message of Jesus Christ. Believing that when people hear that message, that not only is our message better than the one that they've already heard, but the major difference is our message is actually true. And if we hold fast to that, the church's future is bright. Here's number two. The rich availability of modern tools. This might be number four, but maybe I went fast. The providence of God. Yeah, there we go. Number three, the providence of God, the providence of God. The church has a bright future because of God's providence. Y'all probably saw that on the screen for a long time. Right. Nobody told me anything. Y'all were just looking at me strange. So much for friends. Okay. Number three, the providence of God, the church has a bright future because of God's providence. You think about Joseph's life. And when Joseph's brothers did their worst, God was still at his best. You think about Genesis 45 and verse five, Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve you to preserve life. Later on, at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph is actually going to say you meant it for evil, but God used it for good as it is this day to save much people alive. And Romans eight and verse 28 ensures that the providence of God is still at work in the lives of God's people. We know all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. The church at Lehman Avenue, the church of Jesus Christ in every place where people are faithful to him, has a bright future because God's providence. That doesn't mean God's happy about the ungodliness or the wickedness in our world. But it does mean this. God can use it. And as things get worse, the Bible ensures that he will use all of those things to his good and his glory. The providence of God means that though God's not working in a miraculous fashion like he did in biblical times, he still is working. What did Jesus say in John five and verse 17? My father has been working until now. And guess what? I am working. And if we believe that no matter what, we know that the church has bright days ahead in her future because God's providence overrides the wicked schemes of men. He's able to use those things like Mordecai told Esther, perhaps you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. It reminds us that we should probably judge our individual lives and our life as a congregation in the era in which we live a lot slower than we often do, because we probably are making more of a difference than we actually think. Providence is best viewed in hindsight and only in hindsight can we look back and say, perhaps the things that we thought nobody's making a difference with that. Only a few people showed up to that. Nobody's life was changed by that effort or by that Bible class that I taught. Providence says God is working through our efforts in ways we probably can't even imagine in our lifetime. The question from Zechariah is a question for us in Zechariah chapter four and verse 10, where he says, who has despised the day of small things? Can't God take small things and do great things? Yes. And his providence is a testament that he can. Now, here's number four. The church has a bright future because of the rich availability of modern tools. James one in verse 17 says that every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What that means is every good and every perfect gift. Yes, the Bible, but everything at our disposal is a blessing from God if we use it in that way. In first Corinthians chapter four, Paul will say about the things that are in our care. What do you have that you haven't received? First Corinthians four and verse seven. And if you've received them, then it's our responsibility to be good stewards of the things we've received. First Corinthians chapter four and verse two. It's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Think about the time in which we live. The Roman poet Ovid said, let other men praise other times. I'm glad I was born in these. And when you and I take that mindset, God has me here in this moment, in this time for a reason. We can make all the difference in this world and perhaps in the generations to come. You think about blogs. You think about programs like World Video Bible School. You think about YouTube. You think about podcasts. You think about Bible correspondence courses and all of the books and literature that's been written in our generation. I know the Lehman learner is not inspired, but Paul would have killed to be able to communicate on a daily basis with the church. And those things are at our disposal. Nobody's ever been more blessed than we are. We can actually disciple the nations without ever leaving our nation. Matthew 28 and verse 19. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 16, 15. But he didn't tell us how to go. And you live in the time right now when we can teach people all throughout the world and we never have to leave our home to do it. How do we know the church has a bright future? Because of all of the tools that are rich and a blessing and that are at her disposal. Never has a generation had more New Testament manuscripts to authorize and authenticate the truth of this text. No generation has lived in the era with more archaeological discoveries to help us to see that the things that you read about in your Bible are not fantasy, are not fairy tale. They really happened. David was really there. See the tail Dan still. The things about the Amorites really did happen. That's in our generation. Nobody's ever had as many translations in their own language as we have. You can read the Bible in your own mother tongue in various translations to be sure that you comprehend the text and then apply it to your life and let it change you. Nobody's ever had it any better than we do. And our future is bright to the degree that we take those modern tools and actually do something about it. That we realize the time in which we live and realize it's not an accident. All of these blessings. Sometimes we view technology and these things as if they're the devil, as if they are enemies. But they're really not. It might actually turn out that the modern tools are manna from heaven to speed the gospel forth in a way that it probably wouldn't have gone forth. Otherwise, let me show you what I mean. Go to Ephesians chapter three. Go to Ephesians chapter three and notice how Paul pressures the Ephesians with this same idea about generation and about a sensitivity to time that every one of us needs to have. And while his context is different, his principles the same. He speaks about revelation and about how we got the New Testament that you're holding in your lap. Ephesians three and verse three, he says how by revelation was made known to me the mystery. I wrote it down for you in a few words. Verse four, so that when you read, you might understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. Now, here it is in verse five which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is now revealed to us by his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. You see verse five in other ages. They didn't have this, but you do. And what does that mean? You've got a responsibility to live up to your spiritual advantage and stewardship and be the people. God wants you to be because you have something other people don't have. It means as a congregation, we should think about our young people and say, if you know how to use technology and tools in ways that we don't, would you show us? Are, are there blind spots or avenues that we, haven't, that we haven't tapped into that we need to so that we can reach your generation and others? Are there things that we need to be doing to keep us relevant and out in front of people so that they realize the gospel is not antiquated and then let them come in and help us to the good and glory of God? I know we're active. I know we're on social media and still I'm persuaded we haven't reached all of the ways and we don't have everybody as involved as perhaps we could because there's more things that we can do with all of the tools at our disposal. Let us be encouraged. That we have a bright future because of all of the tools that God has blessed us with. And we're supposed to use them. Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And I do it for the gospel's sake. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. And we need to do the same thing. Blockbusters, blockbuster failure, I guess, has been well documented down through the years. You remember in 2000, they could have bought Netflix for 50 million dollars. They winked at it and they said the dot com era is going to come and go. You can't have our $50 million. Well, guess what? Today, Netflix is worth some $250 billion and Blockbuster. Well, they whittled down to one franchise out in Oregon. You could say they missed the boat. They thought that, hey, this was a company that wasn't going to change what they were doing. They were going to be able to do the very same thing in a better and more efficient way than they've been doing it. But they said, you know what? We're not going to change. We like the way we've always done it. People come in, they rent movies. This is the way we do it. This Netflix thing, we're just not going to do it. And they died. And, you know, sometimes churches say we just have this how we always have done it. We've all like this is how it's always been. My friend Melvin likes to say there are some churches that if the 1950s ever come back, they'll be ready. But they're not coming back, guys. And we had better get with the times. This does not mean we should be trendy and the first people on everything. But it does mean we are not trying to win the dinosaur church award. That's what it means. When we say we're the oldest church in the world, what we mean is we're the oldest church in the world because our church can be found in the Bible. But it doesn't mean that we have to do things in the oldest and most antiquated ways. By no means. The tools that are at our disposal. Our blessings from God and we should use them to that extent so that we can glorify and honor God in the process. Whatever we can use, whatever works. We're not married to our expedience. We're not married to the way we've always done it. Neither do we think new is the way we just want to do it the very best way to the glory of the king. And God continues to shower down more modern tools, more ways for people to read the Bible, more ways for people to study the Bible. Have you noticed that there are more ways to engage in Bible studies with the lost people than ever before? Rather than championing one of these ways above the others, what if we just use them all to the glory of God? What if you wrote your own? You just take all of these different Bible study methods and you create your own study. And you've got friends and family members and say, I want to try to teach people how to become Christians. Rather than becoming a cheerleader for any one method and say, you've got to read this. No, you've got to give a muscle and shovel. This is the only way. Rather, rather than getting married to any one way. What if we do what Paul said in Second Corinthians four and verse five? We preach Christ Jesus and not ourselves. We'll use any method and any means that doesn't violate the scriptures to do his will by any means to his glory and never ours. Psalm 115 and verse one. Don't be afraid. The church's future is bright. We've got a rich availability of modern tools. Here's the fifth one. The church's future is bright because there's plenty of despair. I don't have to cite you the scriptures or the statistics tonight about all of the people that are struggling with clinical depression and mental illness in our country. I don't have to cite you the statistics about people struggling with all types of substance abuse and opioid addictions and all of, in our friend circles and in our families and people we work with and people you already know this. You know, the things we talked about this morning, that the gospel of the world is promised things that couldn't deliver And it's failed people. It's promised people a life of happiness and all that's ever delivered is despair. And I'm telling you, for the future of the church, this is actually good news. No, we don't rejoice in the hardships or failings of anybody. But here's what we do want. We want people to know that are building their houses on sand, that it is certainly sand as soon as possible. And despair has a way of waking people up to this grand reality that guess what? The things that I've tried in the past, they're just not working. The things that I've thrown myself into are not ultimately leading me in the direction I thought they would. And that's where you and I are able to come in with the message that's as old as the New Testament and say, guess what? God doesn't want you to give up. There is actually hope. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 24, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And that house stood because it was founded on the rock. What's the rock? The teaching of Jesus and their people living in the same world, same conditions. The rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow and beat upon their houses and they fall flat. Why? Because they didn't build on the right foundation. And in a world of despair, as it gets darker, it's easier for us to shine the light. And that's good news because it turns people to Jesus. When it gets dark in the world, it ought to be easier for you and I to shine the light of Jesus Christ. You know, it wasn't until the people on the day of Pentecost met despair that they actually cried out in verse 37. Men and brothers, what shall we do? And it was then that Peter was able to say to them, hey, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. There's something about prosperity that dulls people to their need for a savior. You just keep feeding them. And you just keep showering down blessings and rain and sun and people just sort of get this idea that they don't need God. But when the faucet gets turned off and lights get life gets hard for people, there's something in the human psyche that says, I'm really interested. I'm really interested in spiritual things. Kirk brother said a few years ago in Nashville that his father always told him when people are in the hospital, whether they're religious or not, if you know them, you go see him because in everybody's life. The door to spiritual things often cracks open, even if it's only once. And as the person of God, you've got to be there to make the mess of that opportunity and you don't want to miss it. The despair in our world is an opportunity for us to reach out to people with the gospel. It just might be that if the despair in our world actually turns people to God and makes them think more about heaven than actually about earth. It may be the best thing that's ever happened to people. It actually could be just like vegetables, you know, not good to you, but actually good for you. The despair in this world could actually be the spiritual green peas of the soul that draws people to God who would have otherwise ignored him. What does David say in Psalm 30 and verse six in my prosperity? I said I will never be moved. And most people say that in their prosperity. But what about in their despair? C.S. Lewis says God speaks to us in his word, whispers in our conscience, but he shouts in our trials. It's his megaphone to rouse a death world. It's in despair that people actually realize All the partying, all the money, all the drugs, all the travel, all of the various extravagant adventures they go on, can't redeem them and save them. And it's then that we get to introduce them to the gospel. Paul talked about the Gentile world in Ephesians 2 and verse 12. He said they had no hope and they were without God in the world. I don't know about you. I'm not happy that people are facing despair, but if it draws them to the God who made them, then God, so be it. The future is bright because our world is a dark one in this field of despair. And that Christians is actually in our favor. You work with people that sometimes come in and they say, you know what? I'm about to throw in the towel on this marriage. That's your opportunity. You work with people. You live around people who've said, you know what? My finances. But what if there's something to live for besides finances or their children or their mom or dad is sick in those times of despair? The church can rejoice. Her future is bright because we have a message that can change the world. Every time Paul went into a synagogue, every time Paul went into a Gentile marketplace, he reminded people that Jesus can change your circumstances in a way. The things you've been doing can't. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, he said, let me talk to you about Jesus and he can save you and redeem you from all things which you never could by the law of Moses. In Acts 14, when he went to Lystra, he said, stop these sacrifices and these vain things. There's actually a God in heaven and he's given you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and fills your heart with food and gladness. When he went to Athens, he says, no more of these altars to anonymous gods, there's a Jesus who actually came, lived, died and was raised. Turn to him. Despair wakes people up to their need for God. And we need more of it. Here's number five or number six. People of like mind. The church has a bright future because there are people of like mind with us. Second Peter, chapter one and verse one, Peter describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says to those who have a like precious faith or those that have a, a faith with the nature like ours. And that is great news for us. The church's future is bright because there are people of like mind. Never believe the lie of Elijah in first Kings, 19, verse 10 and verse 14. You remember what Elijah said? He says, I'm the only one left trying to serve the Lord. It's only me. I and I alone am left to serve you. And they seek to take my life away. And God says, no, no, you're not. There are 7000 prophets that have been hidden and they have not bowed the knee to Baal. Hey, Elijah, you're great. You're a special servant, but you're not my only one. And guess what? None of us are either. And our faith is strengthened and emboldened when we remember this reality. We need to learn from other people. We need to learn from other congregations who are trying to do the same thing like we are. Listen, we're not the only church in the entire world that's trying to get people to teach Bible classes. We're not the only people trying to figure out how we can do this. How can we reach out to people in our neighborhood and in our community with the gospel in effective and yet scriptural ways? One of the blessings of the Church of Jesus Christ is our fellowship is broad, sometimes broader than we appreciate, no broader than the New Testament makes us. But everybody who's in fellowship with God is in fellowship with me. And the sooner I learn that and learn from them, the better off I'll be away with this foolish and sinful congregational pride, which is like two high school girls with school spirit. We're better than you. We're stronger than you. No, we're on the same team with everybody who's in Jesus Christ in any place that they might find themselves. And so in the end, we serve with people of like precious faith, and this encourages us. Let me show you a few passages where this is true. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And notice what Paul says about temptation in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10:13, he says, There is no temptation. That is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But the first part of that says there's no temptation that's overtaking you. That's not common to man. What is that about? There are other people that go through the same things. There are other people struggling with the same things, trying to live the Christian life. You need to realize that we're not the only people trying to say, how can we keep our young people faithful? What can we do to get them engaged and involved in the kingdom of God? We're not the only ones. Look at first Peter, chapter five. 1 Peter chapter five. And notice what Peter says in verse eight. First Peter five and verse eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Now notice verse nine. He says, no, resist him fast in the faith, knowing that the same conflict is being accomplished by who? By your brotherhood throughout the world. It's not just you. Every congregation in our area who's trying to please Jesus Christ and who's faithful to the New Testament, we ought to lock arms with them and say, we're your teammates, not your competition. We really want to help you glorify God. Will you help us? You come to equip. This is for our people, of course, but you are our people. And we want to help you glorify God. Have y'all done something that's worked for y'all? It may not work for us, but how's that working out? Because we want to learn from you guys because we're on the same team for the good and glory of God. Because God's church is as broad as the world because that's exactly what he promised. Now, here's the seventh and final thing tonight that ensures us that the church has a bright future. And if this was the only point we had tonight, this would be the only one we need. Prophetic assurance. You know, sometimes people go to the prophets. I remember when I became a Christian in 2009 and somebody sat down with me and they started showing me, hey, the church that you read about in the New Testament goes all the way back to the old. And they went to Isaiah chapter 2, where Isaiah says, The church of Christ is going to start in Jerusalem, and all nations are going to flow into it. All nations are going to flow into this kingdom. And in Daniel chapter 2, and they talked about the four kingdoms, and in the days of these kings, God's going to set up his kingdom, and that kingdom's never going to be destroyed. And I believe those passages. Believe it then, and believe it now. But here's what I think we need to make sure that we continue to emphasize the prophets don't just tell us about the church's origination. The prophets tell us about the church's continuing and enduring nature down through the seasons. Do you believe the prophets? If we believe the prophets, we won't wink at the news and what it says about our future because of the world we live in. Do we really believe what the prophets said about the church of Jesus Christ? Listen to them. Daniel says in Daniel two in verse 44, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom and that kingdom will never be destroyed. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says when Jesus ascends back to heaven, he's going to receive blessings and dominion and honor and glory that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is never going to end. Doesn't matter who's in office. His dominion is never going to end. We're part of an unshakable kingdom. I know we sing the song about us as individuals. I shall not be moved. But we could also sing it about the church of Jesus Christ. It shall not be moved. I know churches pick up and go into apostasy and do all kinds of things that the Bible doesn't authorize. But I can assure you tonight, based on prophetic testimony, the church of Jesus Christ is safe. Don't you know all of the prophecies about her success in the Old Testament were never meant to apply to Old Testament Israel? They were about you and about me. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Isaiah 54, 17. That's about the new covenant Israel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to put my law into your heart and change your spirit. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. I'm starting a new covenant with you that believe in my son. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. People will see your lives and grab hold of you and say, we've heard the Lord's on your side. We want to go with you. Zechariah 8 and verse 23. None of those promises were ever meant for Old Testament Israel. They were meant for the New Testament Israel, the church of Jesus Christ, the just that would live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And if that's all we could say about the church tonight, you could look your children and grandchildren in the face and say we can rest easy no matter what the world throws at us. God's assured us if you stay true to him, he'll be true to you And the church of Jesus Christ is here to stay. The world has a gospel message, and if we take that message in, it'll lead us away from God. But as long as that message is preached, we need not be intimidated. Because God's presence is going to be with his people. God has assured us, I'm going to be with you. As long as we have the power of the gospel, if we proclaim it, people will receive it and believe it. And their life will be changed. God's providence is with us. He showered down an abundance of tools for our use and for our rich disposal. We simply need to use those things for the good and glory of God. Remembering that no matter what, God's going to be with us. And the prophets declare what Jesus says in Matthew 16:18: I'm going to be at my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Tonight, maybe somebody wants entrance into the kingdom, into the church of Jesus Christ. You do it by obeying the gospel. If you believe he's the son of God, we'd be happy based on your faith and repentance to baptize you into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can join, be a part of the winning team, because that's the way the New Testament describes the church. If we can pray with you or pray for you tonight, David's going to lead us in a song to encourage us. Come now as together we stand and as we pray.